and welcome back to Kindled. Today, I'm excited to share with you a conversation that I had with Avery Foley um, about how Genesis is so central to the Christian faith, understanding it, and even defending it. Uh, Frankly, I knew Genesis was a foundational book, but I did not realize, it just hadn't occurred to me how uh, so many of the central conversations and debates that are taking place both in Christianity and even outside of the church today find their answers in Genesis. And so this conversation I think is really fascinating. It would be a good one even to listen to with your kids as well. Um, The other thing I want to mention before I play this conversation is if you are looking for a resource to study Genesis or a Bible study recommendation, I want to recommend The Promised One by Nancy Guthrie. This is from her Seeing Jesus in the Old Testament series, and that study, uh, The Promised One, is all about seeing Jesus in Genesis. It was one of the first studies that I did at our new and current church that really helped me to grasp what biblical theology was and how the Bible is telling one big story from Genesis to Revelation and how Jesus is even visible in the Old Testament, specifically in the book Genesis. So I would really encourage you to check that one out. Um, It would be a great one to do with friends, with other ladies, or just even on your own as well. But yeah, just wanted to mention that before we get going. My other reminder is that the competition or the giveaway uh, for $100 to Crossway Books is still going on in the month of September. All you have to do is leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts app or on Spotify and send me a screenshot on Instagram to my account. It's Haley, H-A-L-E-Y dot Kindled, or you can email it to me, H-A-L-E-Y at KindledPodcast.com. And uh, I will select a winner probably October 1st and announce that on Instagram. So uh, be sure and send in a screenshot of your rating and review and um, you'll be entered to win $100, $100 from Crossway and some merch from my shop. So super excited for that. And thank you to everyone who has already um, submitted reviews. I have loved reading what Kindled has meant to you, how it has helped you, how you enjoy the show, or it's sharp, sharpened your ability to think critically about um, matters that confront your faith, whether they be in culture or even coming from within the church. So thank you again for that. All right, that's all I have. So here is my conversation with Avery Foley. Okay, today on Kindled, I'm excited to have Avery Foley with me. Avery, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So you are a writer and speaker with Answers in Genesis and the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum over there in Kentucky. Um, It's awesome to talk with you today. I, my followers know that I, um, and listeners know that I just got back from a trip to, uh, both the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum in, was it March? And we were just blown away. Like we truly were so amazed by what is there. And I'm a little bit jealous that you get to work there all the time because it's, (laughs) it was just such an incredible experience for my kids. And even my husband and I, just to see, all of the evidence, all of, you know, the visual representation of what, of stories and, and truths that we knew were real, but to actually witness it in real, real life was just beyond, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a neat place to get to work. That's for sure. <laughs> so cool. So, um, tell me a bit about what you do with the answers in Genesis, kind of what's your focus area, the, you know, um, content that you typically engage with, uh, for that organization. Yeah, so I do a lot of writing for the website, mostly writing on topics like, why can we trust the Bible? How do we know that what's in the Bible is true? Uh, I talk about how science confirms the Bible, whether we're looking at anthropology, biology, geology, paleontology, astronomy, cosmology, we see that that science properly understood and interpreted through God's word, it confirms exactly what we'd expect starting with the word of God. So I do a lot of writing on that. I do a lot of writing on different social issues, talking about whether it's racism, LGBTQ issues, um, sanctity of life issues like abortion or euthanasia. Um, I do a lot of talking on that and how we can apply a biblical worldview to those issues to properly understand them and to stand for truth. And then my mm-hmm. husband and I also do kids content for Answers in Genesis. We we have two, uh, I have two kids shows that I'm part of uh, for our streaming platform, Answers.tv, which is a lot of fun. So That's different things cool. like that, speaking at the Arkham Museum, news programs, mm-hmm. things like that. So neat. Yeah, I love what you just said, um, kind of that you touch on these issues, these kind of high level topical conversations like LGBTQ, sanctity of life, racism, all these things that are very pertinent to culture. We are having these Mm -hmm. conversations every day on our phones, in our feeds. We're seeing these conversations take place before us. 
Um, we're engaging, trying to either represent our side or discern whether someone's argument stands firm in light of scripture. And what I love about, you know, the mission of Answers in Genesis and kind of what you guys are doing over there is tying all of these like high level, you could say conversations back to the core of mm-hmm. how we view them, which is the Bible and scripture. Yeah. And so really taking them, not just arguing up here at the, at the surface, but drilling all the way down to what does God's word say? Why can we trust mm-hmm. it? It's rooted in science. It's rooted in creation. We see evidence that what the Bible says is true is actually true. Um, it's not myth. It's not um, you know, it's God's divinely inspired word. It's not like a magazine inspired. I've seen some people say that, you know, um, that, yeah, no. <laughs> it, that the Bible is the same as it's inspired. Like a magazine would be inspired by its designer. Like, yeah, they had the idea. It's no, like that's not <laughs> what we mean. And so I just think that's really important to drill down into those, those deeper, you know, truths behind that. I don't, what would you say? And and you have any comment on that? Yeah, for sure. Uh, So our main emphasis at Answers in Genesis is about the authority of the word of God, Mm -hmm. that the the authority of God's word is foundational to building a proper worldview. Like you were saying, when it comes to all these different social issues, we don't want to be fighting up here on like an issue level because that's Mm -hmm. not where the real battle is. The real battle is on a foundational level. There is a huge clash going on in our culture right now between two foundations, man's word or God's word. And those are ultimately the only foundations we have. Either we start with the thinking of our time the people around us, we use our own hearts as the guide, our own opinions, the opinion of scientists, whoever, either that's your authority or the word of God is your authority. And you allow God who created you, who, who made everything, who knows everything, who's always been there, who never tells a lie, you allow him to be your authority. Mm-hmm. And so the battle we're seeing in our culture is over those two foundations, which will we start with? Who will we trust? man's word or God's word. And then all of these different social issues, whether it's LGBTQ, abortion, racism, they're all just different symptoms of a greater problem. Mm -hmm. Letting go of God's word is the authority and allowing man to be the authority. Because if you think about it, if you put sinful human beings who the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, nine, our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. If we allow man to be the authority, you're going to end up with sin and brokenness Mm -hmm. and hurt because mankind is is wicked. We cannot trust our own hearts. We cannot trust our own thoughts and feelings. We need to be taking those back to the word of God and seeing what does God's word say and allow God and his word to be our ultimate authority. Mm-hmm. Yes. Amen to all of that. Um, one critique I will see of people like you and I frequently, I'm sure you've heard this argument is that, you know, we are too black and white. We're too rigid <laughs> and we don't, we don't allow for mistakes that, you know, we, we would recognize, right. That humans aren't perfect. So why isn't it possible that error could be in God's word and that it was just written by a man who, yeah, sure. Maybe he was inspired by God to write something, but maybe he took some of his own thoughts too, and filtered that in and sprinkled those in. Why isn't that possible? And why are we so rigidly saying God's word is authoritative and inerrant and true when we also will acknowledge that man is flawed, right? What would you right, say to, yeah. to that type of argument? I would say ultimately the 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 word of God is not a human book. Yes, God used humans, 40 different authors to write the word of God, but it's ultimately not a human book. The Bible itself claims to be the very word of God over and over. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll see over and over, thus saith the Lord, thus says the Lord, you know, um, so the, it claims to be the word of God. And then you get to the New Testament and you have, uh, for example, in 2 Timothy, we read that all scripture is breathed out by God. It isn't as if these humans just sort of, well, I think this is the way it is. And God was kind of like, yeah, that's good enough. Like God inspired the very words that were put into scripture. And he used the unique styles of the different people that wrote like Mm -hmm. Peter, Paul, Isaiah, whoever he used their unique styles, but every word of scripture is the word of God. When you read through the gospels and you see how Jesus treats the word of God, he treats it with reverence and respect. He says, have you not read, like go back to the authority of the word of God, not one jot or tittle of God's word will ever disappear until all is accomplished. Isaiah says that the word of God endures forever. So 
All throughout scripture, we see this emphasized over and over and over again, that the Bible is the word of God. We're dealing with a very unique document. Mm -hmm. And some of the things in scripture that that confirm what it says about it being the word of God are things like um, the, the purpose of scripture from the beginning to end. You'd think if 40 different people living over you know several thousand years were writing one book, it wouldn't be coherent. It wouldn't have one theme from beginning to end. And yet the Bible does. It's right. all about Jesus. It's all about redemption from the very beginning beginning to the very end. So the the themes of scripture, that it is consistent, that it is coherent, it points to the fact that yes, it is the word of God, just like it says that it is. The fact that we have prophecies that took place hundreds of years before the events occurred reminds us again that yes, we're dealing with the actual word of God. Only God could know those things. No human is going to know, is going to know that only God would. So that confirms again, what we know starting from scripture, that it is the word of God. Yeah. I think about as a mom, you know, having these conversations with my eight, six and three-year-old, mostly the older two, but having these, these types of conversations about what the Bible says. And, and I loved taking them to the museum because it did help ground so much of what I've, my husband and I have taught them and told them mm-hmm. and read to them and that they've read in their own Bibles and heard in church and all of these things. They've, it, it's like, I know that they believed it, but it really, it really just came alive to them. And they were like, mm-hmm what you know like (laughs) seeing the arc in real time how big it really would have been was just that much more impressive of god gave him these instructions god like there's no way with the tools of their time and the you know without those instructions like that this would have been built otherwise you know like this was truly god's provision um for for noah and his family but um i what i was getting to was when i as a mom talking to my kids about these things it's important, and I'd like like to hear your thoughts on this. It's I, I believe it's important that we teach them, of course, what God's word says as factually true, and and we're showing them all the things from Genesis to Revelation that prove that this is like this is the fulfillment of prophecy. Look, we see Jesus being prophesied back in the Old Testament, and then here he is, and he explains the scriptures to the disciples, and and their eyes were open, and then they finally understood he was the promised Messiah, right? But I also am holding in the other hand, the reality that I know that my kids have to have a a transformed heart, you know, from from God, (laughs) they have to be like the scriptures also say that the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and it is a stench to those who are being carried away to death, but a sweet perfume to those of us who are being saved and a fragrant, Mm -hmm. like a fragrant smell because it's good news for us. And so while keeping in mind, I know that teaching them all of these facts and, and these stories doesn't necessarily save them. It is the means by which they will hear the gospel yes. and that God <laughs> will use, right? So there's kind of mm-hmm. that like double-edged, I guess, reality of being a parent. And as you're teaching your kids all these things, you're also praying for their salvation, you know? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Our kids do not come into the world. Unfortunately, they do not come into the world saved just because their parents are. Um, We have to teach them the gospel and that's how we do it day in and day out, being diligent and purposeful to lay down the gospel for them, the word of God in front of them and to help Mm -hmm. them develop that biblical worldview. Like sadly, what, what I see a lot of is parents sort of teaching their kids like, isolated accounts from scripture. So they kind of know like Bible trivia type stuff, Mm -hmm. or maybe they know some stuff about like, do not lie. Here's a verse about that. You know, Mm -hmm. don't be angry. Here's a verse about that, which of course there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Kids should be familiar with their Bibles and they should know verses that teach them how to behave. Absolutely. But what we also want to be teaching our children is to give them a biblical worldview to help them have that foundation of understanding that we start our thinking with the authority of the word of God. We don't do what the world tells us by following our hearts or um, anything like that. We go back to the word of God and say, what does God's word say? And a big part of that is teaching our kids, taking them back to what Genesis says, because Genesis is actually those, those first chapters of Genesis are foundational to understanding the world around us and to understanding our biblical worldview. If we want to ground our children to understand marriage, sexuality, Mm -hmm. gender, we need to be taking them back to Genesis from a very young age. I mean, the world is trying to capture your preschoolers, your toddlers from a very young age. We've got to be taking them back to Genesis and saying, 
Hey, God created you as a boy. It says right here in Genesis 1, male and female, he created them in the image of God. He created him. Isn't that amazing that God made you in his image and he made you a little boy. He made you a little girl taking them back and saying, and then in Genesis 2, 24, God makes a man and woman. He brings them together in a one flesh union. That's marriage. God made marriage. It isn't something that humans invented and came up with and we can change it however we want it. God made it. And it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. So mm-hmm. If we want to talk about those sorts of topics with our children and help them to understand how to think biblically, we have to take them back to Genesis. If we want to discuss sanctity of life issues, got to go back to Genesis. God created us in his image. We are not animals. It doesn't matter what they tell you in your textbooks and on TV. You -hmm. are not an animal. You are a person made in the image of God, different, distinct from the animals with value and worth because you bear God's image. And so when it comes to all these different issues, you got to go back to Genesis. We've got to teach that to our children, lay that foundation so they can rightly understand and interpret the world and have those principles to really help them with the things that are coming down the line um, so they can have that robust worldview that'll stand up to the attacks of the enemy. Yes. So true. I love that you said that. Um, You were just speaking about, you know, how we find so many of the answers to today's problems, questions, debates, cultural wars that are going on in in genesis truly which i think is interesting because it is obviously the first book of the bible it it does lay the foundation and it's almost like god knew (laughs) you will need to know here's everything you need to know before the rest comes before i you know give you the Mm -hmm. other revelation and the other yeah um you know truths about myself and even about what the church should look like all those other Mm -hmm. things they come but yeah if you don't understand that god created a perfect world that he made everything and it was very good. Mm-hmm. There was no death or suffering, God's original creation. And that was marred by our sin. If you don't understand that, you're not going to mm-hmm. understand the gospel. You're not going to understand why we need a new heavens and a new earth. You're not going to understand who you are in relation to who God is. You're not going to understand what sin is. Like there's so many things you will not understand if you don't understand those foundational chapters of Genesis. Mm-hmm. And like you said, that's why God gave them to us first. That's why the Bible opens up with God telling us in the beginning, God and laying out creation, laying out that it was a perfect world. And then Genesis three with the fall, and that's all foundational to us being able to understand the world around us. And most importantly, to be able to understand the message of the gospel that we're sinners and we can't save ourselves and we need Jesus. Yeah, 100%. So what are some of um, those other issues? I know you mentioned at the beginning that you do a lot of work around uh, racism and the biblical answer to racism, as well as why Genesis is foundational. We've kind of touched on that second piece. So let's move into um, that conversation around racism, the answer to kind of social justice. And and you guys have at the Creation Museum, a really cool exhibit that walks through, um, you know, I think it's not necessarily specific to this, but it does kind of touch on the fall and like Romans 3.23, all of sin and fallen short, mm-hmm. and then shows us like this visual representation in a gallery setting of all the ways that men have sinned against each other and yeah. the brokenness of the world. And it's kind of like a dark and heavy exhibit. Um, mm-hmm. So I, and I think that provided a really good opportunity for me. Just, uh, I took that and was like, let's, let's lean into this, you know, six and eight year old. Let's talk about like, what are you seeing? This is, you know, kind of scary. Like you see the concentration camps, you see stuff from, you know, obviously the Nazis and, and all kinds of different mm-hmm. eras in the, in, in, world history that have, um, led to destruction of human life. Um, we also obviously see abortion being a part of that, but, um, specifically around the the racism conversation, I'm curious where you take that. How, how do you explain the importance of, um, understanding Genesis to having a biblical worldview around racism today? Yeah. So again, we've got to go back to what Genesis says, because Genesis teaches that first of all, all humans are made in the image of God. And that's the most, that's the first and most fundamental thing we understand from Genesis about humanity is that we are created in the very image of God. Like I said, not, we're not just animals. We're made in God's image. So we understand that first of all, and we also understand God created two people. Um, first Corinthians 15, 44 emphasizes the first man was Adam. Genesis three twenty tells us that Eve was the mother of all the living. And in Acts 17, we read that God has made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. So scripture is very clear all throughout scripture that we're all descended from Adam and Eve and that there's only one race. 
Scripture's mm-hmm. always taught that there's only one race, the human race. And then we know Adam and Eve had children. We know, obviously, there was nobody else for them to marry. So brothers and sisters had to marry each other. People wonder, where did Cain get his wife? Well, he would have had to marry one of his sisters because there's nobody else for them to marry. But um, close intermarriages aren't outlawed until the book of Leviticus, 2,500 years later, when the Lord puts those parameters in mm-hmm. place. So they have their children have children. You get to the time of the flood where mankind is so wicked that the thoughts of their hearts are only wicked all the time. God judges the wickedness with a global flood and reduces the population down to just the eight people who survive the flood. And then after the flood in Genesis 9, that family is told, be fruitful, multiply, spread out, fill the earth. As you keep reading, you get to Genesis 11 and Noah's descendants are like, no, we don't want to spread out and fill the earth. We're going to Mm -hmm. stay together, make a name for ourselves and build the city in a tower, Tower of Babel. And God always judges sin. He judged their pride, their rebellion and confused their languages, forcing them to spread out and fill the earth. And this event is really key to understanding why we have different people groups around the world. Oftentimes people think there's different races around the world. There's not different races. We all go back to, to one race. Uh, Because we all go back, we're all one race, because we all go back to Adam and Eve, right? All one human couple, so we're all one race. But people spread out from the Tower of Babel, and as they spread out, they're going to take with them different combinations of genetic information, right? Mm -hmm. And now they're isolated from one another because there's now a language barrier, and then there's geographical barriers as they spread. So you have different people groups developing over time in different parts of the world, but everybody traces their ancestry back to Adam and Eve. And so it's understanding that event really understands why we, our anthropology, basically, why do we see different people groups around the world, different cultures around the world? It goes back to that event at the Tower of Babel. So those are, those are two key things to understand when it comes to addressing this issue is, is one race all made in the image of God, understanding Babel and how that impacted the world, but then truly understanding the gospel because, you know, the answers to the questions of our culture, the, the the issues themselves may seem very complicated, but the answer is actually simple. It's always mm-hmm. the gospel. It's just, mm-hmm. it always is the gospel right. because Jesus, when Jesus came and died on the cross and made that sacrifice for our sin, it doesn't just like give us a free ticket into heaven. Like that's not, that's not the, that's not the whole gospel, right? Yes, we have eternity to look forward to with Christ. That's part of the gospel, but that's not the whole gospel. The gospel gives you um, new life in Christ. It, It puts to death the old man and makes you a new person in Jesus Christ. It gives you the power to forgive others, no matter what they've Mm -hmm. done against you, because Christ has forgiven you. It gives you the power to love your neighbor as yourself because you're loving God first and foremost. And when your relationship with God has the relationship that's broken because of sin is now fixed, then you are able to love Mm -hmm. others as Christ has loved you. So Mm -hmm. it's the gospel that gives us the power to forgive others, to love others, and to be part of the global family of God. Despite our differences, Mm -hmm. we can love God. And to understand that Uh, For every single person, it doesn't matter what your background is, where you come from, what you've experienced in your life, your ultimate problem is you're a sinner in need of a savior. And that means every single person has the same ultimate solution. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, who came and died in our place and took that penalty of death for us. So that's my one hour talk condensed into like two minutes (laughs) of uh, why, how the gospel answers this question. First, the history God has given us in his word, and then the gospel message itself really provides the answer that we need. Yeah, that's so good. I want to interrupt this episode to tell you about a new sponsor, and that is Good Book Mom. If you are a mom in 2023 or 24, whatever year you're listening to this in, you understand just how important it has become that we know what is in the books that our kids are reading. There is an agenda around every corner, it seems. And if you have voracious readers like I do who are going through a book every couple of days, you also don't have the time to pre-screen every single book they read. Um, and that's just not possible. So that's where the good book mom lists come in so critical and so clutch because Corey vets every single book that goes onto these lists for biblical worldview to make sure that they uh, don't have anything that you would not want your kid reading. It just gives you the peace of mind and, you know, the certainty that, that your kid is going to be getting something that is going to edify them, build them up in truth and something that you would approve of yourself. Good Book Mom provides a membership, which is a curated book list for ages 0 to 12, filtering everything through a biblical worldview. Some of the many lists include biblical marriage and gender book list, puberty and intimacy book list, uh, kids theology books, good enough for adults, and baby's beginner library list. Visit Good Book Mom to see everything that comes with the membership, including other premium content and a book club that is coming in October. 
you can get $5 off a year-long membership with the code Haley at goodbookmom.com. That is goodbookmom.com. Use the code Haley for $5 off. I was thinking of Galatians 3.8 as you were speaking. I'm sure you talk about that in that talk, that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Um, and obviously those distinctions of male and female, those those do exist in, in the physical sense. But what Paul is saying there is that we are all leveled before the, the cross. Mm-hmm. Like we are all yeah. in need of salvation. And, um, and he was talking about the mystery of the gospel revealed that the gospel was not just for the Jew, but also for the Gentile, because yeah. that was a very foreign message in that day. It was, I mean, Jews and Gentiles didn't even walk on the same side of the street. They couldn't <laughs> enter mix or intermingle or intermarry or anything. And so the fact that that would have been extended to culturally a totally different people group was so offensive to them. They were so offended. And it's, I feel like there is a a parallel there to when you say um, similarly today that, oh, well, there is one race. There are not two races. There's not three or four or five. Mm -hmm. There's one human race. You sometimes get the same kind of offense and and pushback and shock. Like, I can't believe you would say that because you're, you're minimizing someone else's lived experience. You're minimizing the lived experience of this entire people group. Like you weren't, you know, your ancestors weren't sold into slavery or your ancestors weren't sold and and came over on this boat or whatever. Um, which Mm -hmm. again, like we can't even know that based on skin color because there's a lot of people who who were (laughs) white, who had ancestors, you know? So anyways, that's beside the point, but um, I think that there's kind of a parallel there. Would you agree that that there's like a difficulty in hearing that biblical truth that we are really one race? There is neither Jew nor Gentile. We are all the human race. And therefore, like we have, especially as believers, and this is where I focus most of my critique is actually on the church, not the world, because the world is going to act like the world, right? But right, exactly. the church, the social justice movement has just taken mm-hmm. such... Uh, a very big hold on so many people. Um, mm-hmm. They're not acting like unity has already been achieved. Like mm-hmm. they believe unity must be worked for and you must do the work to create and achieve unity rather than walking in the unity that Christ has already achieved for you on the cross. Yeah, absolutely. I would totally agree. We're seeing so much pushback to something that first of all is biblically accurate. And second of all, is scientifically accurate. Like science has conclusively confirmed there's only one race in the year 2000, when researchers finished mapping the human genome, there was one of the results they came to looking at our DNA was there's only one race. The, the percentage of differences that separate people groups from one another and the things that like are on the outside that we tend to focus on really heavily, it's like 0.01% of your DNA. It's a, it's a fraction of a percent of your DNA. So it's mm-hmm. genetically, biologically, extremely, extremely minor. So from a scientific perspective, we know that what the Bible said is true. It's confirmed by science. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's been so much pushback to that in our culture today where people have even said it's racist to say there's only one race. Because like you said, it minimizes people's lived experience. Mm-hmm. Right. But again, we got to go back to the authority of the word of God. Are we going to use man's word as the authority mm-hmm. or are we going to use God's word? Those are the only two options we have. And we should always want to do things God's way because mm-hmm. God is all knowing. He is all kind. He is all good. He is all wise. And he hasn't just given us his words that we can you know, pick out a few verses that we like for our daily encouragement and then kind of forget the rest of it. He's given us his word so that we can conform our thinking to his thoughts. So that mm-hmm. first of all, we can know him through his word, but then also we can have our minds renewed by his word. We shouldn't be going to the world and seeing, okay, what does the world say? And then we'll sprinkle some Bible verses on top to make it sound a little better. Yeah, We should be t- t- taking what the world says, take it to the word of God and say, does this line up with scripture? Right. And then if it doesn't, throw it away. It's not a helpful tool that we can use. It mm-hmm. It's meaningless because it doesn't match with what the word of God says. So mm-hmm. whenever it comes to some new philosophy or some new idea that's catching on, the first thing you want to do is look at it and say, where does this come from? What is it grounded in? And if it's grounded mm-hmm. in man's word, that yeah. is not the right foundation. That's not the right authority. Go back to scripture. Yeah. Yeah. I do see a lot of, um, a lot of Christians have gotten that backwards that they filter what they hear in the world, what they're learning about, what they heard in a college class or from some influencer that they follow. They filter that through, um, or I'm sorry, they filter the Bible 
what they might have learned as a child or the verse that they re- happen to remember through that lens yeah. and see where that fits in well. And, and that's where you run into so much false teaching and twisting of scripture because you'll say, mm-hmm. well, you know, the Bible does say love your neighbor. So now I'm going to say loving your neighbor means whatever whatever the situation looks like I should do in this situation. Right. You know, based yeah. on whatever's based on, virtuous in our culture. Yeah. Based on whatever that guy over there says is, is the loving thing, right? The LGBTQ or the six-year-old, I, the, the grown man who identifies as a six-year-old girl. I, he says that it's unloving. If I reject mm-hmm. his gender identity, I'm being hateful and bigoted. Therefore I need to love my neighbor. You know, the, so we have decided to filter the Bible through the world instead of filtering our view of the world through the Bible. And we will Mm -hmm. always come up with error and um, false teaching. And, and truly it'll always lead to death, like destruction and then death. And we see the same thing with abortion, you know, filtering. When does life begin through the circumstance of the crisis pregnancy? And well, you know, Mm -hmm. this person is not fit to be a mom or it's not fair to bring a child into the world with this kind of circumstance, blah, 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 or this sort of medical disability. So the loving thing is to end this life before it even has a chance to, to get, you know, be born. Um, Right. And, and again, that's, that's wrong. That's unbiblical. That's against Mm -hmm. God's word. And so, um, but you just see so much of that inside the church, inside of progressive Christianity and even, even inching into churches that don't even say they're progressive and maybe aren't totally progressive yet, but are starting to become soft on those types of issues. Mm And I think part of the reason for that is we haven't raised up generations who truly understand how to think biblically. Yeah. We've, we've raised up generations who kind of know some of the stuff that's in the Bible. They can tell you about Daniel in the lion's den and Jesus feeding the 5,000, but they they really aren't that familiar with their Bibles, first of all. Biblically, right. literacy is just rampant in the church. People would prefer to read a fluffy devotional about the Bible rather than read the Bible yeah. itself. And so biblically literacy is just rampant. People don't know what the Bible teaches. Um, and then second of all, they just, they don't understand how to think foundationally. They don't understand how to start with the word of God as their authority and build their thinking from that foundation. And if you don't have that, you're going to be carried about by every wind of teaching. Like it talks about in scripture, every mm-hmm. shiny new thing go off in that direction because you're not anchored to the word of God. So, and, and that's, Really, it's a failure of the church, but first of all, it's a failure of parents mm-hmm. to not teach their children, to not properly disciple them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So it's really a responsibility is for parents to, to obviously it doesn't guarantee our children's salvation. We already talked about that earlier. Um, it's the Lord who does the work of salvation, not us as parents, but it is our responsibility before the Lord to do our very best, to be mm-hmm. intentional, to be purposeful, to teach our children how to think according to the word of God. And that means we have to equip ourselves first. So we, you can't pass on what you don't possess as uh, my friend, Heidi St. John says. So you got to get back to the word of God yourself. So you understand it and then train yourself to think biblically, to understand how to think starting with God's word. And then you can pass that along to your children and teach them. Because like you said, what we're seeing in the church is so heartbreaking and it's so sad. Mm -hmm. And, And part of it also, I would say is, there's a lot of compromise in the church. Um, Mm -hmm. We were talking earlier about how Genesis is foundational to understanding the world around us. Well, so many churches, church leaders, church academics have compromised on Genesis. They say, it doesn't matter what you believe about Genesis. You can add evolution. You can add millions of years. doesn't matter. God said six days, maybe it's long periods of time. Well, as soon as you compromise on the word of God, where do you stop compromising? And if if God's clear teaching is this, he says in Genesis one in six days, then Exodus 20, 11 says four in six days, the Lord made the heavens. Well, those, those aren't really days. Well, then does marriage really mean one man and right. one woman? Is gender really male and female? Like as soon as you start mm-hmm. um, taking man's ideas and bringing them into scripture and allowing man to be your authority, not God's word, where do you stop? And that's what we're yeah. seeing happening with so many of the younger generations. They grew up hearing that. And now they're just kicking the door of compromise open further because God's word isn't their ultimate authority. Man is their ultimate authority. And scientists say this. Well, scientists also say there's 72 different genders and I can be a cat. So mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, um, read that into the Bible mm-hmm. as opposed to using the Bible to understand the world. That's such a great point. Um, and I've definitely heard that conversation, that debate. I've had been in conversations with other believers who would say, you know, I don't know that we can say it's necessarily a literal day. And I think there's absolutely 
freedom for, you know, us to kind of disagree, like uh, agree to disagree on this and, and they'll kind of argue for the longer day. I don't know if it's always because they've researched or just because they want to introduce maybe some level of doubt that potentially it's, you know, there's, there's more room for more of a worldly system of evolution to have occurred, you know, like theistic Mm -hmm. evolution or whatever. Um, but and 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 obviously I'm I would never question anyone's salvation over their right, over their yeah. view of that. But what mm-hmm. I would say is um I would I would agree with you that we need to be more careful and cautious in just kind of jumping to agree to disagree because of what you said that when we start asking questions of the Bible, when it is clear, when it is explicit, when it is distinct in something like Genesis, which is, um, historical narrative. We're reading, mm-hmm. we're being told what happened. Um, obviously there's some poetry in Genesis. It's written in a poetic way, but it's still historical fact of what happened. Um, it is not, it is not to be interpreted non-literally. <laughs> and so, right. Yeah. I think that, that, yes. The danger is, um, you know, with something like prophecy in revelation, there's, there's more freedom to right. interpret some of revelation symbolically and not literally because prophecy is not always all literal some of it is some of it isn't it depends on what's being said and by who and mm-hmm. you know all of these things and and that's it's obviously a complicated area of study i'm not pretending to be an expert but um but i do think that it, it, we need to be slower to just jumping to like there's so much freedom to have all these different views within because again we we will land in this place of being like well what does it actually say can we know can we right. know what it yeah. says or what it means by what it says and then you're going to end up with you know a, a progressive view you're going to end up uh with your rainbow you know um <laughs> what's this thing that like uh methodist um you know oh. Yeah, somewhere. I'm not. I'm blanking on whatever. I, the, I don't the remember either. Around like the black, yeah, yeah. you know, robes, the the robes that they wear. Anyway, you're going to end up like like Brandon Robertson, for instance, thinking yeah. that you can be, you know, a, a gay affirming um, pastor of the Bible, and uh-huh. and you're a Christian, and and because there's so much room and there's so much flexibility, and so mm-hmm. well, I I don't think we need to call people salvation into question. I do think it's worth pushing a little further on that and saying, should we introduce doubt where God has put a period? Should we put a question mark? You mm-hmm. know, what's the danger of, of saying, did he really say kind of like Satan yeah. did in the garden? Yeah. You know? Genesis chapter three. Yeah. Right. It's, it's really, it's the Genesis three attack of our day. Like we were saying, yeah. did God really say, did God really? Say? Yeah, he did. And we need yeah. to start with his word. And, and you were talking about uh, the, the differences in historical narrative in Genesis and like apocalyptic literature, like Revelation. Right. And the big difference there, I would say, is when it comes to people reinterpreting Genesis to add in evolution, add in millions of years, what they're doing there is they're taking things from outside of the Bible. If you just read the Bible and you take the Bible exactly for what it says, mm-hmm. you will never come away with evolution in millions of years. So you never will, because that's not mm-hmm. what it says. So in order to get that, you have to take it from outside the Bible, take the thoughts mm-hmm. of mostly atheistic scientists and yes. use that as your interpretive framework for understanding the Bible. Right. Whereas with Revelation, people disagree on that, but everyone who's disagreeing is starting with the Bible. True. They're still, yeah. they're going back to the Bible and they're saying, okay, well, uh, this is what the Bible says. You know, I think that that this is symbolic. I think this is, you know, so there's, they're starting with the Bible. The Bible's still their authority. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. when it comes to Genesis, it's not an issue of different interpretations of a certain word starting with the Bible. It's yeah. starting with the Bible or starting with things outside the Bible. It's a difference of authority. Is it going to yeah. be man or God? And and that's why it's such an important issue is because it comes down to authority and who your authority is matters. It impacts how you view the Bible and it impacts how you, you view God and his claim on your life and his claim to tell you what to do ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As I always say, who gets to say, who gets to yeah. say, who you are, why you're here, what you're supposed to do. That's the big question of the age. Yeah. 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 And and I will reiterate what you said. Never question someone's salvation over it. It's not a salvation issue, but that doesn't mean it's not important. It's still very important because it's an authority issue. Right. Totally. I want to interrupt this episode to tell you about one of our sponsors, Fiercely Penned Journals. These are journals for Christian moms and their kids made by a Christian mom and marriage and family therapist. These journals go beyond just a book and are made with this purpose in mind, to help moms cultivate a healthy mind and spirit 
through the practice of journaling by building discipline, helping you slow down, recognizing and acknowledging God's work in your life through answered prayer requests, and so much more. Each journal features several page options, including blank pages, lined pages, and prompted pages. So prayer prompts, motherhood, gratitude, that sort of thing. All the journals are repurposed from old hardcover books, which is so cool, and then hand-painted and hand-bound, creating a -a one-of-a-kind journal for a -a one-of-a-kind mom or daughter. Sons, too. My girls are absolutely journalers. They actually, we let them stay up five minutes at bedtime every single night to write in their journals, and they love doing that. So they are going to love these journals. They're so cute, and I just like that there is some structure to it, so it gives kids ideas and also helps them recognize that they can pray for things and then look for how God will work in their life. These are super cool. Check them out at fiercelypenned.com and use the coupon code KINDLED15 for 15% off your purchase. Again, that's fiercelypenned.com, KINDLED15 for 15% off. Um, shifting gears for a second, uh, I remember seeing when I was at, I can't remember if it was the ARC or the Creation Museum, we went to both, uh, that Bill Nye visited a number of years ago. Um, yes. I was curious, what what was his take? I, I forgot what I read that he had said, but I'm, I would like to hear from your mouth what he said. <laughs> so he came in 2014 to the Creation Museum first uh, to debate our CEO, Ken Ham. They did a big okay. debate. You can watch it on YouTube. It's really great. Um, he wasn't thrilled with us. We'll put it that way. Shocking. <laughs> not a fan, not a fan. Um, yeah. So he and Ken debated on the question of, of origins. And mm-hmm. it was really interesting because when Ken was debating with him, he kept bringing it back to this authority issue and, and really highlighting that this is a battle over worldviews. This is not a battle of science versus religion or science versus the Bible. That's not the real battle right, at all. Right. It's a battle over your foundation. Are you going to start with the history God has given us in his word? Because he's given us creation, the fall, the flood, the Tower of Babel. All of that explains, the flood explains geology. It explains fossils. It explains rock layers. Um, God creating us in his image, male and female, explains our anthropology, where we came from. We don't have to wonder if we came from some ape-like creature or not. God's word has given us the answer we need for that. The Tower of Babel explains why we have different people groups. Um, so the Bible's history, that those first 11 chapters, give us the framework for understanding science. So Ken kept bringing it back to that. Um, Bill and I didn't deal with the question quite as much. He he mostly just like threw out questions about the Bible and evidences against the Bible kind of thing. Um, but then we had him back again later. I believe it was 2016, shortly after the Ark Encounter opened. He came and did a tour of the Ark and they had like, he and Ken had like a mini debate as they walked through the Ark and, and, and Bill and I pointed to different things and and Ken tried to answer them, but we got to present the gospel to him. Ken presented the gospel to him Mm -hmm. multiple times and even prayed with him there on the ark. Um, Mm -hmm. And that that you can watch that debate as well. That's available for people to view. Um, But yeah, it was really interesting just to see some of the things he said, like he was talking about how like, um, I believe it was in the second debate on the ark and he was talking about how life might've been seated here by aliens. And it's like, Mm -hmm. so you'll believe in aliens for which there's absolutely no evidence of of aliens Mm -hmm. on another planet sending life to earth but you won't believe in an eternal God who made you and loves you and sent his son to die mm-hmm. on a cross for you. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, one of the, during the Q and a period at the end of the debate, someone asked him, um, where did matter come from? And his answer is basically, I don't know. It's a great mystery. So you'll believe in like eternal matter that comes from nothing, but you won't believe in God, yeah. your mm-hmm. creator. It was just really sad to see, um, his atheistic worldview really working out. And, and and he told a kid at one point during the walk through the arc that she was a beautiful animal. Like it just seeing that worldview wow. being reflected that you look at another human being and you just see an animal. Sure, a beautiful animal, but like zebras are beautiful, you know, <laughs> like wow. woodpeckers are beautiful. Um, whereas when we look at someone else, we should see someone who's made in the image of God and has different value from woodpeckers and zebras and beavers because they're made in God's image. And so just you really saw the contrast of two mm-hmm. worldviews based on two very different foundations result in very, very different consequences. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just tragic. And it and it does show you that this is this has to be revealed spiritually. Like the, yes. the truth. Yeah. You you have to have the Holy Spirit open your eyes because um, gosh, even with all the evidence, with all the science, with everything that I saw mm-hmm. there that was just so compelling. I mean, of course I love it because I already believe it, but even if I didn't, I think, gosh, it, it, it seems like it'd be really hard to deny, but like you said, I mean, he has an answer for everything yeah. because it's worldview based. It starts with a belief and then you filter everything mm-hmm. you see through that belief. And so he's not just looking at like the physical evidence. He's not 
he's not approaching it like a skeptic he's approaching it like someone who is religious because he is because he know? is he's yeah religious. absolutely and absolutely I, I love like the story of um gosh i'm blinking on his name right now but the guy that was um convinced of christianity's um truth because he sought set out to disprove it um mm. I'm it's happened on... more than once <laughs> yeah he's he's written several books um all gosh i'll come up is with that, that lee but... lee strobel case lee strobel for christ. The case for christ and then there's another one. one a guy with three names <laughs> like a three anyway all um all it'll I'll come talk. to you tonight at 2 a.m when you're lying yeah, in bed but, yeah but he set out to just disprove it and so he just approached um you know the the bible and all of the evidence for christ having been a, a real you know person who walked the earth and just looking into all the historical documents around that time that were written by non-biblical sources and um and he came to become a christian through that process because the Mm -hmm. evidence was so overwhelming like he he was like i saw that this had to be true and if it was true then what was i going to make of this jesus that had lived he either had to be a lunatic a liar or lord like there was Mm -hmm. only three options and so he came to faith in christ but um i just yes c.s lewis is it C.S. Lewis? No, nope, sounds it like wasn't a C.S. Him. Lewis quote. Yeah, that <laughs> I think, might be I think he's the liar, lunatic lord. I think that's his quote. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's interesting. Um, you actually, if you think about the account of Lazarus rising from the dead, um, you can kind of think about apologetics, which is what we do at Answers in Genesis, teaching people to defend their faith. You can kind of think of it like that. So you have right. a dead man. That is who we are spiritually. We are dead. We cannot raise ourselves. A dead man cannot save himself. Right? You have a dead man laying in a tomb, and Jesus goes. And he mm-hmm. tells the people standing there, move the stone away from the entrance of the tomb. This mm-hmm. is Jesus who, you know, can walk on water, who can feed the five, like he can move the stone away from the entrance of the tomb, right? right. But he tells the humans who are standing there, you know, the, the people there, you do what you can do, move the stone away. And then he says, Lazarus come forth and Lazarus comes out. And Jesus does what only Jesus can do, raise the dead. And I think that's a as an interesting analogy for evangelism is that we don't save anyone. It's not our winsome words. It's not our fantastic arguments that save anybody. Mm-hmm. It's it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And our job is just to present the gospel, to do what God has called us to do, preach the truth, go out and make disciples. We go, we tell people, we give them answers. We try to remove those, those stones away, so to speak, by giving the answers that, that, that confirm the truth of the word of God. And then we just pray that the mm-hmm. Lord will raise the dead person and will give them new life in Christ. Um, and, and we trust him with the results of, of our evangelism, whether that's with our own children or whether that's with unbelievers outside of our home that we know. We do right. what God has called us to do and we leave the results up to him. And some people will respond by the power of God. Other people will do what the religious leaders did where they said, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Let's kill him and kill Jesus to cover up the evidence. You know, like yeah. there's only two responses to Jesus. Um, and, and those are the two really. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I found the name and it was Jay Warner Wallace. Okay. All so right. anyway, he wrote cold case Christianity, but Lee Strobel was also an atheist ahead um, before he was saved. But just for anyone who was curious about like that. Like I said, there's a few of them out there. Yeah, <laughs> there's there a are. Few of them. Yeah. Um, the last thing I want to ask you about, which, um, I I thought would take a bigger piece of our conversation, but I love what we've talked about. Um, I want to slide this in though, at the end here, dinosaurs. (laughs) I don't know a ton about this. I'll be honest. I know that some people have very strong opinions on dinosaurs that they only can be explained by evolution. And so therefore as a biblical creationist, you should not believe in them. You should question everything, you know, and um, even Ali Stuckey says this, which I think is just kind of tongue in cheek and funny, but um, I'm curious, like, I, obviously you guys have lots of dinosaur displays and we there's do. <laughs> um, like a full-size T-Rex, um, you know, structure of, of the skeleton there. So talk to me about how those can be explained through a biblical creation worldview. Yeah. So when we start with the word of God, actually, dinosaurs are not a big mystery. So basically dinosaurs, we know from the fossil record, they really lived. They really existed. The fossils were not fake. They're real. Creation scientists go out all the time and find fossils. Um, They're just creatures that lived uh, before the flood that were created by God. Uh, Dinosaurs were all land creatures. The the flying reptiles, the swimming reptiles, they're, they're not actually dinosaurs. A lot of people think they are. They're a separate 
uh, group of reptiles. Um, so dinosaurs are all land creatures. All the land creatures were created on day six of creation week. So dinosaurs would have been created on day six of creation week, along with all the other land animals and man. So dinosaurs didn't live millions of years before people. Creation's only from the genealogies in scripture, about 6,000 years old. So dinosaurs lived along with man about 6,000 years ago. Like we talked about earlier, God's original creation was perfect. T-Rexes weren't going around chomping, you know, people in half or anything mm -hmm. like that. God's original creation was perfect. Everything Genesis 1:30 tells us was created vegetarian. Um, so everything was vegetarian at the very beginning, mankind included. But then, of course, creation falls. Now, as Romans 8 says, it's groaning because of sin. And we get to the global flood. And this is important for understanding dinosaurs because you get to the flood. Well, if you have a catastrophic, massive global flood covering the whole earth, it is going to totally change the earth. It's going to rip up miles of sediment, redeposit that sediment in layers. And as it does that, it's going to trap and bury a lot of creatures in the process. And that's why we have billions of fossils around the world. Most of the fossil record is sea creatures. That makes sense. We're talking about a big marine catastrophe, right? So most of the fossils are going to be sea creatures like shells, things like that. But a very tiny fraction of that fossil record is dinosaurs mm -hmm. um, because many of them were buried during the flood, preserved as fossils. But two of every kind of the land-dwelling, air-breathing dinosaurs would have been on Noah's Ark. They wouldn't have been excluded. They fit the category of animals on the Ark. Mm -hmm. A lot of people wonder, wait, 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 how could Noah fit the dinosaurs on the Ark? But a couple of things to understand is, first, how large the Ark was. We often yeah. think of it as this happy little bathtub Ark with giraffe necks out the top. Not the case. If you if you visit the Ark Encounter, you'll see it's massive. It's 510 feet long. Like, it is huge. So there's plenty of room on the ark. And also understanding most dinosaurs were not huge. Some of them were certainly, most of them weren't. Um, and even the really big ones, the biggest eggs are only about yay big, like size of a football, right? Um, so dinosaurs, even the really big ones hatch out of relatively small eggs. So um, Noah could have brought younger dinosaurs onto the ark. It's very likely God would have sent him the younger ones. Um, so they yeah. take up less space, eat less, live longer afterward to reproduce. So not hard to explain how Noah could fit the dinosaurs on the ark. They yeah. get off the ark into the world after the flood. They start to spread out, reproduce, multiply, fill the earth like God commanded everything too. Um, but you're going to run into some challenges in the world after the flood. First of all, you have... Uh, there's really good evidence to suggest just a few hundred years after the flood, there was an ice age. The flood actually set off the mechanisms that triggered an ice age that lasted for a couple hundred years. So you're going to have a lot of climate change happening. And so some of the animals are just not going to be able to survive such uh, varying um temperatures yeah. and all of that. And then of course you have the human element. If you have a, you know, 130 foot long supersaurus tromping through your cornfield, you're mm -hmm. probably going to go hunt it because it's destroying all of the food you have to feed your family, right? Mm -hmm. If you have a pack of dinosaurs hunting in your area, you're probably going to go kill them so they don't kill your family, right? So um, there's probably a lot of, of that going on. Um, but what's really interesting, actually, is we have really good evidence that dinosaurs and humans live together. And that's in the dragon legends we find all around the world. Cultures in Asia, in Europe, in North America, South America, Australia, Africa, all these different cultures that are very different from one another all have legends of dragons and they sound an awful lot like dinosaurs. And some of the pictorial representations of these creatures look a lot like dinosaurs. And so those legends are probably exaggerated memories of when humans and dinosaurs actually coexisted with one another. Mm -hmm. And then as dinosaurs eventually faded out and went extinct, the stories, you know, got a little bigger and more exciting as they were passed mm -hmm. on like a game of telephone, right? To the next generation. So um, yeah, so they're really not a big mystery mm -hmm. when you start with the word of God and you understand them just like any other creature God made. Loads of creatures have gone extinct since, since the flood. It's a consequence right. of living in a fallen world. Dinosaurs are just one of them. I want to interrupt this episode to take a second to tell you about my newest sponsor, and that is ACBC. ACBC stands for the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. Now, it will probably be no surprise to you that I am a big fan of ACBC. Our church has an ACBC counseling center, multiple certified ACBC counselors, and this organization is doing such good and important and necessary and God-honoring work in churches all across the country. Every Christian is a counselor. It's just a matter of being a skilled or unskilled one. ACBC exists to help fill churches with skilled biblical counselors that rightly understand and apply God's word to the countless problems of life. Their certification process is designed to teach right theology and how to apply it in phase one training and phase two exams, and then requires counselors to put what they learn into practice in phase three supervised counseling. 
There are hurting people all around us that need true hope and healing, which can only be found in Christ and the Bible. Visit biblicalcounseling.com today to start your journey to become the kind of counselor that God calls all believers to be. Learn more at biblicalcounseling.com. There you go. There's the short answer. <laughs> Pretty straightforward. I mean, I don't even know if I have a question. I think it's interesting <laughs> that it's so controversial. Um, and and maybe that just is a testament to our our own like subconscious influence from secular uh, yeah, thinking. I think so. Yeah. I don't think there could be another way. So I want to reject that. Therefore, I have to reject everything that it postulates or says, even mm-hmm. though the things, some of the things that it's acknowledging and viewing in creation or through the fossil record can be explained through a yeah. biblical creation worldview. And um, that's what I really loved about going to the museum and the ark and just seeing, seeing all of that for myself um, was just amazing. And I was, I was super fascinated by like the effects of the flood on the earth climate and, <laughs> and that post ice age that you were talking about post flood ice age was really cool to see that um, made a lot of sense, you know, it really clicks. Like, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. When you understand how to apply the framework of the Bible's history to the world, it makes sense. And all of a sudden yeah. it's like, oh yeah. Okay. I see that now. And like, it just, it it really does explain the world around us. And it really does show how science confirms the Bible. Like if there was a global flood, you'd expect billions of fossils and that's exactly Mm -hmm. what we see. So it it, just things like that, when you, when you properly interpret them through the lens of scripture, it really does bring the Bible to life and, and connects it to the world and makes it make a lot of sense. Yes, it does. Um, I'm curious, which one is your favorite? If you had to pick the creation museum or the ark. Oh, you know, I get this question sometimes and I can never decide. I think the Creation Museum wins by just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it, maybe for sentimental reasons, like it was the first attraction. And I remember going there as like a 15 or 16 year old and just like yeah. absolutely loving it. And the other thing I love about the Creation Museum is the Fearfully and Wonderfully Made exhibit mm-hmm. um, that shows that has the models of babies developing and just it's so beautiful and such an illustration of life and how valuable life is. And um, the sanctity of life and the whole abortion issue and stuff is something that's so very close to my heart because mm-hmm. I just love my babies. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. uh, my daughter, Lois, is actually featured in the exhibit, the ultrasound oh, wow. footage that plays in there. My daughter's the the last one, the 40-week the baby. Uh, so that kind of makes it win a oh, little bit cool. over for me is that my daughter yeah. is in the, one of my daughters is in the exhibit. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I will agree. I actually liked the creation museum a little better too. And, um, the reason is I really loved the, I don't know what it's called, but the exhibit where there's like the video kind of the B roll rolling of like Esther or Ruth or the biblical authority room. Yeah. What's it called? The biblical authority room. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like each of their stories kind of succinctly told from scripture, uh, the part they played, like what, what events surrounded their life. And it's like, it's just so, I I don't know. I think that that room really is, I want to bring my kids back when they're a little older and they are maybe able to like actually stand and read all of that because (laughs) I, I wanted to just, I wanted a book of it. And so we got, we got the book of the signs and all that, but nice. I wanted to, you know, just absorb like, how much of that, I think I appreciated the biblical theology, the overlapping of, you know, these people's lives and stories and how we see God's faithfulness through, through that. It just did a really good job. Um, and there was also like a portion in that room where it was like God versus the Ammonites, God versus this, mm. God versus all of these like false gods and all the enemies and like how he destroyed them and how he had victory. And then it was just, I don't know, just a beautiful picture of like, the victory that we have through, mm. you know, Christ's victory on the cross and, and just that connecting the old Testament to the new and showing like that, you know, you've got this chunk of 2000 years to the next chunk. And then, you know, Christ to today is another 2000 years. So there, therefore yeah. the world is about 6,000 years old. Like there was just so much that gave you this high level view of where we stand today in the world, the the world, the physical world that we're looking at, understanding how we got here, understanding you know, our place in the story and also seeing God's sovereignty over all of it was just really amazing. Yeah. 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 It's a really neat exhibit. I I love the creation museum. I love that I get to go there every day to work. (laughs) Yeah. So cool. And I I can't recommend enough that people put that on their bucket list, um, you know, prioritize going at least a couple times if possible. You know, I think it's, it's really cool for your kids to see that at a young age, because it does Mm -hmm. bring the quote unquote stories that they've been reading to life as, 
um, real, you know, real historical narrative. But then I, I think also at an older age, they would be able to, able to engage with it a little differently as well mm -hmm. and, and be able to just absorb more of the text that's, you know, the the scientific kind of backing and reasoning um, behind some of the exhibits that's just really compelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And kids are free. So um, kids and under are free. So yeah. um, be sure to plan your visit because it's really amazing. And it really... I love taking my kids. I mean, my kids have been there like a million times, but yeah. every time we go, they love it. They love it so much. They love to go and see the dinosaurs that are there. Yeah. They love to just walk through the museum. They love the the baby exhibit, as they call the fearfully and wonderfully made exhibit. They love to go in and just stare at the babies and talk about yeah. how God has made us fearfully and wonderfully. And look how amazing it is. And it's just, yeah. it's such a wonderful opportunity to have conversations with your kids and really help them to see the truth of the word of God and to help lay down that biblical foundation right from when they're really little. It's a, it's a great way to do that. And to have real, a lot of fun, um, on your family vacation at the same time, because they're both really fun. We've got so the Ark has a carousel. We have a zoo, we have animal programs. Mm. Um, we have, uh, beautiful botanical gardens at the creation museum. Those wouldn't have been in full bloom in March, but they're really coming to life now. And yeah. just all these different things to give families just a really wonderful experience while yeah. they're learning and equipping their children with answers. For sure. And you definitely need at least a day at both. Yes. Um, don't try to do them both in one day. No, that would be terrible. <laughs> There's too much. There's too, too much. much. It's great. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, where can people learn more about the ARC and the Creation Museum, you know, get information on tickets, that sort of thing? Uh, arcencounter.com or creationmuseum.org is the place to go for that. If you want to learn more about the Answers in Genesis ministry, um, answersingenesis.org is the place to go to learn about that. We've got thousands of free articles answering all kinds of questions about the truth of God's word and and resources. And you can find us, of course, on, on YouTube, Facebook. Um, I think our team has a TikTok as well. I'm not on okay. TikTok, so I don't know, but I think they have one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Reaching the younger generation with the gospel. We have mm -hmm. a podcast called Zero Compromise um, so that some of our younger staff members do if you want to check that out. So a host of different ways to, to find us. So cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'll put all of that in the show notes so people can click through very easily and find it. But again, thank you for coming on today and sharing with us. Oh, thank you for having me, Haley. Thanks for listening, guys. I hope that was encouraging and edifying for you. Um, come find me on Instagram at Haley.Kindled. Uh, make sure to leave a rating and review before the month of September is over to be entered to win $100 to Crossway and some merch from my website, kindledpodcast.com. Send me your screenshots to um, on Instagram or by email, and I'll make sure and add those to my album full of screenshots, and then I'm going to be drawing a winner on October 1st. All right, I will see you guys next week here on Kindled. Have a great week.